please leave me a rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever. Thank you. Well, the way I've come to describe it is I'm a half-Japanese who was born and raised in the Scandinavian Midwest, the upshot of which is I've been an emotional cripple for most of my life now. (laughs) But I'm getting better. Let's see if this works. I'm not sure if it does. It doesn't work. But that's okay. I just called up TJ, my guest, for this week's interview. TJ lives in Minneapolis, and... And this is unrelated, but have you ever met anyone who's, like, really successful, and you say, like, what's your secret? And they're like, oh, well, I'm just... A really impatient driver. I'm I'm that dude who's who's always like speeding fast and like driving as fast as you can even when there's traffic. Of course you don't meet that person. Because it's not how it works. Just chill out, you know? TJ Nice to see you. Good to see you too. So TJ came down and let me into the apartment and he was making uh, ramen for us to eat, which was great. Am I too late to get the pork sound? Yeah, that's done. This is all right. So this is the sound of pork not frying. Ha ha ha! And this is the sound of noodles bubbling about. Now, this interview we do anonymously, so I'm not going to give an introduction. But TJ is a comp complicated complicated sounds bad he's a complex person he's a good person he has autism he works in i'm not going to say where he works because this is anonymous and later in the interview we talk about the sensational topic of ethical non-monogamy uh which is a cool thing and he talks about it well and and brings that down to earth i'm sure everyone just thinks it's about like orgies or something like that but it's a little bit more complicated than that Without further ado, here is the theme song. I love you. (laughs) Just kidding. We're strangers, Uh, but I hope you like it. Why do you hate the sound of your own voice? It it just sounds kind of flat to me. I um I, I don't hear the the sort of variation in in highs and low tones. Yeah, I hear that um, John Malkovich doesn't like the sound of his own voice. Oh, I don't like the sound of John Malkovich's voice. <laughs> Um, welcome to Your Eulogy, the podcast where we interview someone about their life so that we can talk about their death. My guest today, JT, should that be the pseudonym? TJ. <laughs> okay, his name is TJ. 
it, 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 it's a clever pseudonym if you ever want to employ it. Um, doesn't like the sound of his own voice, but he's doing better with his, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-esteem. I, uh, I guess, I, I guess I'll start with a slight joke. Um, <clears throat> sensory issues, social communication, anxiety and depression, lack of executive planning skills, emotional dysregulation, difficulty with transitions, difficulty following verbal communications. Am I describing watching, am I describing the Great British Bake Off or living with autism? <laughs> You know, my my parents are very much into the cooking shows. I try to steer clear of it. I am not familiar with the Great British Bake Off, but that does sound pretty descriptive of my own life. Um, but you are familiar with autism. When I met you at a intro to acting class, you told the hilarious joke of, "Hi, I'm TJ. Um, I have autism. Don't worry, it's not contagious." Oh God, did I say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone laughed. I think you got to laugh. Oh, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> um, what what does that mean? Well, it's it's difficult to pin autism down to a specific set of symptoms because it varies very much from individual to individual. In my own case, I guess I have taken it to mean that I can get a little bit overloaded in noisy or social situations, like there's just more information for me to take in than I can process at one time. And there's, a, I suppose, a, a socially awkward aspect to it as well. Um, how, does it, how is it different from, because people will hear that and I think the joke would be like, oh, so you mean you're like a normal person? <laughs> um, or like, oh, you mean like you're an introvert? Um, is, is it just an, a noticeable exaggeration where you see, oh, when other people get overwhelmed, they can deal with it. Um, or when other people are sensory overloaded, they can deal with it. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you feel it's different than just, you know, someone just saying they don't like loud parties? That's a really good question. I suppose when you have autism... A lot of it just kind of happens in your head in terms of how you respond to things going on around you. And so you can't really judge how other people are responding, people who may not be autistic, but who might be introverted or otherwise disinclined to be in those kind of situations. Okay. Kind of like you're a little bit more set adrift, um, perhaps. I don't know. And and I do know, I work with... Um, or two of my clients at a group home I work at are have severe autism and my cousin um, has autism. And one of my friends has, um, has high functioning autism. And so I'm, I should know that, you know, it's not a comparative um, condition. Um, and, and it's even one that's hard to explain. So I'm not going to try to do that or I'm not going to try to get you to do that, which is what I just did. So perhaps I didn't save myself. Do you feel a, how do you, and this might be a, a tasteless question, um, but it is something I have kind of wondered about. What's your relationship with people who are severely autistic? Do you see something in common? Do you, do you, do you think it's such a big difference that it should have like a different name? 
Well, I guess I should start by saying it's not like we have parties, so I don't, uh... I have not, I can't say that I've had a lot of contact with people on mm -hmm. the more severe end of the spectrum. What are you feeling right now? When, when we were hanging out and talking before... Uh, I noticed you have some trends of just being very analytical. Um, we were talking about doing improv and how that's hard because you have a hard time turning that off. And I'm, and I'm not connecting this with autism, um, though it might sound like I did because I'm jumping straight into this. But just mm. as a personality trait, what does it feel like to be recorded um, as a person who likes to plan things out and have some control over how things are presented? Well, I feel like I'm trying to be much more aware suddenly of, of my wording. Um, trying to be more careful of, of what I say that's actually being recorded versus when it was just you and me bullshitting in my kitchen. Yeah. Isn't that funny how that works? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, doing interviews is odd because it does, it, it is a spotlight <clears throat> and, and it's not an accurate one. You know, we'll, we'll sit down, we'll talk for a half an hour and I'll I'll put it online and and because you listen to like very well done shows that are very meaningful, you think that whenever you record it is, um, but it's not. Uh, I, I try to be. I try to like think things through and have have things be coherent. Um, I'm not sure what if I'm getting at anything, <laughs> really. But well, I I think recording a podcast. Let me take a step back. I think talking about improv. <clears throat> versus uh, scripted acting, which is a little closer to the situation where you and I first met. Improv is very much that just let all the barriers down and do whatever comes to you. And the, the kind of acting that I'm more interested in, it's a little more like everything is, is plotted out to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. I mean, there has to be a certain amount of going with the flow because stuff happens. Yeah, well, let's talk about control for a second. What ha Have you always had that in your life, um, being able to have things ordered in a certain way? I think to a certain extent, yes. I mean, uh, you're watching me sort of lock up right now trying to, to come up with exactly what I want to say. Uh, and I think also have, uh, mentioning the spotlight, the fact that we're here in a situation that's being recorded now, mm -hmm. that kind of takes me back to another thing that I guess I would ascribe to my autism is that most people have, they say, a fl fight or flight response to, to stressful situations. And mine is more frequently just to freeze. Mm hmm Um, we were talking about, I think we were talking about it. We were talking about the, the experience of wanting to um, have things, wanting to present yourself and have, have control over it. Am I using the right word control or would you use a different word? Is it just more an un, not being able to know how people will, will perceive you? I think that control is a good word because 
one of the the kind of popular metaphors concerning autism is that a person can feel like an alien trying to mix in with a, a totally foreign species or race. And so it's it's kind of a matter of how do you behave naturally? How do you behave in a way that you blend in? And so if you're overthinking it, it gets really hard to to come across as a little weird, uh, stilted, just by, by trying to overthink it, by trying to maintain that sort of control. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, I, I would like to be able to say, like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, but P... <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's true. I think people are judgmental. And I don't want to use a word like jerks or assholes, even though many can make that case <laughs> through their actions. But it's just we have such limited um, perceptual powers and we have such limited social signals that we do make <clears throat> inaccurate judgments based off of just a few words that someone will say. And I found the only way that I can make it through that is just like I don't have the mental energy to carry that load on my back all the time. One thing that I do find interesting in doing this show is that the actual interviews, I can be in the moment and kind of go for it, um, say my thing and and, and improvise in, in a certain way. But when I try to do my intros, the pre-recorded stuff, the stuff that I actually type out, that's when I get all of it. Because if you plan it out, all of a sudden I have a standard of how good I'm supposed to be. But in this moment, you know, it's it's the moment. That's all we have. And you can do your best and hopefully it's pretty good. <laughs> but there's just there's just no other option. There's no other reality than the one that we're in. I think that's a good juxtaposition because I kind of look uh forward more to those those places where I can rehearse what I'm going to do instead of having to do it on the fly, like you describe here. So that intro, I would totally nail that because uh. <laughs> I would spend an hour or two hours working out, what am I going to say? I'm going to, you know, flip these two words here, cut a word here. I have all this time in front of me to work out just what I'm going to do, and then I can do just that. Maybe with little improvisations, but... I, I have that control, as you say. Um, for some reason, the idea of a stutter popped into my head. Like, autism is like a... I mean, actually, you know, I'm not actually speaking from a clear memory <laughs> of... of like, I think I tried to watch a documentary on stuttering and... and uh, some people, if, if they rehearse um, and they prepare something to music or something, then they can control their stutter better. Um, but yeah, the stutter is a weird thing. Like autism, it's not really understood <laughs> very well. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, sometimes your brain is just trying to, to fill a little space. And that's, while you're trying to fill space, that's attention maybe that you're not putting... That's all right. Give me a second here. Um. At this point, TJ froze up. 
after the interview, I left one of the mics on and we talked about this moment. How do you feel about um, freezing up a little bit? Because for me, terrible. I'm sympathetic. Like I was, I was seeing, I wasn't seeing you messing up. I was seeing, I was just seeing you. Mm. Like what, what is occurring? Um, I think that's the thing I was trying to say is when, when you freeze, you're worried about what you're actually expressing or not expressing. And then with part of your attention, you're also trying to put together what you were trying to express in the first place. I see. So like you have... Shit, why aren't we recording now? I actually am recording with this little guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the sound will suck, but you'll at least have it documented. Yeah, okay. but so it, it's kind of like you have two trains. You're, you're going around and the train goes... Actually, the train metaphor is not very good. The next... Actually, I like the train metaphor. It's it's like one of those math class problems, but yeah, the trains are going off in two different directions, and there's a little bit of your attention on each of them at the same time. And one train is what you said incorrectly, and the next train is what what you what want. you were trying to say, and if you weren't thinking about that train that was hung up on what was said incorrectly, what was not said, or what was just kind of gibberish, then you'd have that much more effort to put towards that train that was actually headed somewhere. depressed is it a emotional shutdown is it a self-loathing how, how does it feel i think emotional shutdown sounds like a pretty good term it it like feels, you're not feeling very much yeah not feeling very much and then feeling bad about not feeling more <laughs> that's a that's a fucked up paradox that's an unfair paradox <laughs> Lord, <laughs> that created us all. That is a vicious cycle. Be able to find. feel bad about not feeling. <laughs> God, that's not fair. I'm so sorry. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm super happy all the time. Um, but <laughs> Well, the way I've come to describe it is I'm a half Japanese who was born and raised in the Scandinavian Midwest. The upshot of which is I've been an emotional <laughs> cripple for most of my life now. <laughs> But I'm getting better. That's funny. Um, yeah, uh, you do have a lot of. Um, you hold your Japanese um, heritage and and culture um, throughout your life. Um, you firmly you have a philosophy based off of Roronin. Uh, uh, was it Roronin Kenshin? Ruroni Kenshin is the title. Yes, and that's a. a a fame is it famous? Uh, uh, it's an anime from the mid '90s about feudal. I mean, you know, you know how to set the show up. I won't say anything more. Why do you? What? What? And why do you love this show so much? Well, uh, the setup for it is: this is a story about supposedly a a, a legendary swordsman during Japan's last civil war. 
when the story actually picks up 10 years later, he has kind of turned his back on, on that legendary persona, the legendary swordsman. And he did what he did in wartime, trying to create a better future, but he carries the memories of, of all the harm that he did along the way. And because of the experiences he's had, because of the lives he's taken, he's vowed that he will never again kill in the course oh, of doing and, this. And that's why he has a sword that's reversed. So if you strike him with the sword, if he strikes you with the sword, he just like breaks your knuckles because it's not the sharpened side. Right. The sword is blunt where it should be sharp and sharp where it should be blunt. And that's his uh, symbol of his his vow of how he's going to try and live now. Okay. Do you identify with him or do you identify with the second main character, the young woman who takes over her father's dojo and he comes in and helps? I feel like I identify with him because kind of the moral of the story at the end of the day is you do the best you know how and you kind of fuck up along the way. And so this is a character who, despite his his intentions and his vow not to kill, he winds up in these corners where the old wartime persona is dragged out again. And it's like flipping a switch. It's. Do you feel like you ever have anything like that? A behavior trait or a personality trait that you try to put to rest, but turns out you, you know, cut people out of your life or freak out and yell at people with some, some allegorical, I guess that wouldn't be it. Cause what he does essentially is good though. Um, when he gets put into those corners cause he beats up bad guys, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, when he gets put in those corners, it turns into a, will he or won't he drama? Will he kill the bad guy? Will he snap out of it in the nick of time? And I guess the reason I've, kind of latched on to this metaphor is just in the course of relationships, uh, certainly as an autistic person who, who can, I guess, kind of easily do harm without meaning it. I, I do fear, you know, somewhere down the line, something's going to happen. I'll do or say something stupid, not even really thinking about it. Mm. And despite my best intentions, do harm to somebody again. It, it's like driving, you're set up for failure because if you mess up at all, you're a shitty driver. You're an asshole. Like if you mess up a teeny bit, you cut someone off a little bit. Don't, if, if you don't immediately go when the light turns green, the person behind you kind of is just like, come on, you know, like if you're not mm -hmm. perfect, you're an asshole. And even if you are perfect, you're still traffic. <laughs> maybe maybe life is kind of like that. <laughs> Where it's kind of... I mean, it's not. Life is a wonderful thing, but sometimes it certainly feels that just existing is, is a burden to be placed on other people. I, I also do like that the way that you laugh is you're not actually laughing. So there's been multiple times where I'll make a joke and you'll laugh until I'll tell another joke, but you're not making a sound. So it sounds like it's just like really unbalanced. Good luck editing that podcast, boy. <laughs> like put a laugh track on. Ha ha ha. 
Um, uh, let's talk about Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, I, I had another, this isn't a joke, but I've always kind of had this daydream of someone who doesn't speak English as a, as a first language. Uh, let's say just in like um, Indonesia, like stumbles onto a Weird Al CD and just loves the music unironically because he doesn't know it's, or like they don't know it's a parody. We then have a conversation about Weird Al. I think it's a fun conversation, but it's a little bit rambly, and I want to keep these interviews down to around 30 minutes. But if you are really curious about what me and TJ think about Weird Al, send me an email. I'll send you the raw footage or data or whatever you call recorded stuff. I should know that if I wanted to sound smart. Whatever. Here is the last segment. Would you like to talk about uh, what's the acronym? E N M? Ethical non monogamy. That's correct. Segways are for amateurs. <laughs> I just looked at my clock and I was like, oh, we're at 30 minutes. So let's just see if uh, oh. TJ wants to talk about this. Clock's running down. I got it. But the thing, I mean, the thing that I was was wondering about was you attached it to uh you used the word concurrent with um with when you started to kind of improve or get a better handle on your depression are are the two related i guess in my mind it it seems to be the case that they are i got divorced earlier this year and I reconnected with somebody who was, was practicing this. And um, I, I took on another partner shortly thereafter and have now been with, with both of these women for several months. And I feel like it's somewhere in the course of that that I, I just snapped out of this depression that I've been in for, honest to God, most of my life. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say that it's cause and effect, I might posit that it's simply a matter of for so long I've tried doing what I was supposed to do, what everyone else has been doing, and I just discovered it wasn't working for me. So, yeah, I tried doing something different and now feel a little more free somehow. So it's it's possible that, yes, there's a connection. I haven't really been doing this long enough to say conclusively but I certainly like to think there could be something to it. Do you feel um, just the... How do I want to phrase it? Um, yeah, do you just feel like the... I'm, I'm losing my, my clearer thought. Um, I, guess, I guess there's no non-blunt way of saying it. Um, how do you experience your sexuality? Is it a very personal thing? Um, is it a, uh, a more of a physical thing? And, and if, if, you're, if your sexuality is a different way, is, is a non-heteronormative, not just in terms of heterosex, but like um, a very strict definition of how people are supposed to uh, be coupled. Um, if you're outside of that in any way, then you just have to live with guilt. Um, do you, do you feel like that's, that's where you're coming from, that you just don't connect sexually the way that um, you're supposed to? <laughs> I guess I would say for me it's more of an emotional thing than it is a sexual thing. 
it is something that's that's outside of the traditional structure that's been built up for us. It allows us to say that this one person is something really incredible in my life, but maybe there's something that's not quite there, something that I can find by being with this other person as well and by being committed to both of them at the same time. I think I've I've come around to this idea that maybe by practicing multiple concurrent relationships, you get to see yourself a little bit differently in each of them, and you get to appreciate different things about these multiple partners mm. by being able to, I don't want to say compare, but... Um, Contrast, I suppose. That's that's so beautiful because the the sensational nature of it. Like all I'm thinking about is the sex part, but the way you described it was was beautiful because it wasn't about the sex part. It was about having another relationship. Like there's more to you. And how often does one person? I mean, I'm not going to postulate um, how how people fit together in any way. Um, but the way you described it was great because it. It really took the the stigma of it just being something a horny dude would want to do, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, I think that's a misconception that's that's common, that's easy to pick up. Uh, I suppose first of all, I should say polygamy is a very specific term, polygamous, as as you just used, and that refers to plural oh, marriage. I'm sorry, I, I wanted to use polyamory. Y- yeah, and. I gather that there are distinctions even between that and ethical non-monogamy that at this point I have not brought myself up to speed on. But just as a technical point, there is that. Yeah, yeah, my mistake. Um, and one of the resources that I've that I've kind of followed along to as I've gotten more into this, one of the points that they made that I think really resonated with me is this idea that love is not a finite resource, that you can have love in you for for more than one person, and neither of those people gets shorted any for it. I, I, I sometimes, I have, a, I have a, a, an epistemological wall that I run into when it comes to things that have to do with cultural education, because of so much sexual education of like how we're supposed to be in relationships. Like, I'm not sure I'll ever really be able to see what I naturally (laughs) would want or be drawn to. Um, because I'm very similar to, to, to what the norm is anyway. Uh, and so it's interesting just to try to, you know, free your mind a little bit. Well, I, I suppose I should say, when I talk to people about this, I'm not recruiting. Uh, this is just something that's that's maybe not so well understood, and mm-hmm. so it is good to have an opportunity to say this is the myth and this is the fact, at least as I've experienced it to this point. Yeah, for sure. W- one thing I've been thinking of a lot lately, um, it's kind of becoming a mantra for myself, is that like, it's not about the noun, it's not about the verb, it's about the adverb. So it's not what you do, you know, be it, um, you know, drugs like alcohol or whatever. It's not the verbs you do, like 
kill or marry or whatever. It's all about the adverb. It's all about how you do things. And so, so often we focus on specific things um, instead of the way in which we engage with them. I think it kind of fits. I mean, it's a grammar mantra, which may not be the sexiest thing in the world, but like if you're doing things lovingly, that's more important than if you're doing good things poorly. <laughs> well, I, I wish you had warned me in advance that I would have to be brushed up on my parts of speech for this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's accurate. You, um, you sort of have to learn your limitations. How much can you do well, and at what point do you start to fa fall off and do things poorly? Mm. We, well, I mean, you're, you're such an open and interesting person um, that I haven't really gotten around to asking you about, um, about actual death. Um, and I'm not going to. Because <laughs> shock. <laughs> well, I mean, if I ask you about, um, I, I was kind of curious about what it was like to lose. You had a grandfather uh, who you were close with when you were um, just five years old or something? Five years old when he passed away. Um, but I, it would break my heart to have to cut that out because um, so much of the rest of the conversation has been important. Um, so I'm going to leave that unspoken and just let the mystery of it um, blossom in the listener's heart so that they can just picture however they want to picture a close relationship between a grandson and a grandfather. And hopefully that will uh, pay tribute to someone who I'm uh, sure was important to you. And we'll move on to the actual eulogy part. Are you familiar with it? Uh, I am. I have now. gather today to remember TJ. He choked tragically, trying to speak to the totality of his life on this very podcast. He strove to understand the disparate parts of his life all in relation to one another, a seeming emotional disability that did harm to his relationships in life, a comic book story that taught him to accept failure as separate from his intrinsic value a framework for relationships that freed him to experience love outside of conventional constraints, constraints and to find a greater peace in himself. As David Lopin famously said, you were not put upon this earth to get it, Mr. Burton. But at the end, he got more of it than he ever expected to. As his favorite work of fiction intoned, those who are weak and those who are dear to you even if you were to sacrifice yourself to protect them, they would be left with sorrow in their hearts and would never find true happiness. Your life, too, is the life of one human being. It is when you feel the weight of it that the path is opened. That life does not exist for you alone. His most fervent wish was that he learned to appreciate his life in time to share the best of himself with those who were dear to him.
Your Eulogy was produced and edited, and the music was done by me, Matthew Schneeman. If you have any questions, please contact me at youreulogymail at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, send, me, send me some emails. I don't get a lot, and I'm curious what you think about um, the format. Too long, too short, too much music, not enough music, um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's all I have for you. See you next week.